0: men. There's three things that I'm passionate about. It's prayer, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's making disciples. And uh, I felt the Lord l- that would lead that uh, very first sermon of our year. That what are we about? It's very easy to lose track of. Why do we do this thing called church, and why are we here? And uh, if we Don't keep that discipleship focused in our life, that discipleship is what we're all about and why Jesus has not yet come to take us home. He's waiting on us to make disciples. It's easy to get a loss of vision. And if you've got your Bibles today, uh, we're continuing our words in red, our series through the words in red, and tonight, the title of this morning's message is, A Disciple Is. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, a disciple is is. All right, would you open it? Let's prepare our, help, our hearts for the word. And Father God, we just thank you today for who you are, that you are that good shepherd who shepherds us and leads us. And Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts, open our ears to hear Lord what your word says and to challenge our hearts, God, that we would be receptive, Lord, to your word that it would pierce our hearts, that it would change us, that it would mold us, God. I pray that you would see your church multiplied, that your kingdom would be expanded, Lord, and exalt your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that lives would be changed. Father, I'm praying for people to get off of the things of this world and be transformed into the newness of your creation, God, and to go out and reproduce themselves, replicate themselves, Lord, to see more people come in, God, that it's not about a church service, it's not about what the pastor does, God, it's not about a program that, that produces more people, but God, that people make more people. God, that Lord, that your disciples are making disciples. And Father, that it would not just be relied on a church service any longer, or a program of a church, or a church building, or the pastor, or the leaders. But God, that every single person in your church, God, would take ownership. And that it's not a heavy burden. God, it's not something that they fear. Father, that it's not something that they look as work. But God, that it changes, that you would change our natures, God change our natures, reform us, God. That it just making disciples comes naturally because your holy spirit is doing it through us and not us ourselves. And we just pray that over us today in Jesus name. Everybody said amen. 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 Matthew chapter 10 verse 25. Really focusing on this one verse today, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave Like his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. It's enough for a disciple to be like their teacher. And uh, what's a disciple of Jesus Christ? And better yet, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ? And uh, for too long, you've heard me say before that one of my passions is that we revitalize the definition of church in America because for too long, going to church has been confused with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And for too long, uh, just committing to a church and finding a church that fits you has been confused with being committed to a God who is changing you and renewing you and uh, coming into His image. So it's not about uh, being disciple. It's not about being a better church attender. It's not about being a better tither. It's not not really even about being a, a good church worker. Being a disciple is being about Jesus. It's being about made into the image of Jesus. And the definition simply is, of a disciple is an apprentice or a pupil whose allegiance is to a teacher. And basically, if you look in the the, going into the ancient world, they, discipleship was very common. It was just a part of society. And uh, schools of philosophy popped up in the Greek world and, and even before. And these men who were teachers would begin f- uh, having students that would come to them. And that student's job, that disciple's job, was to learn and grow, and listen to the teacher, being trained, almost being remade in their philosophy, and that, that teacher's philosophy. And then that disciple would then leave that teacher, and go out and start their own school of ministry, and gain their own disciples. And that's the way it worked. That's the way they uh, reproduced the, the philosophies of the ancient world, and even the church was made this way. And so all of this is to say is that discipleship is really just about being transformed to be like Jesus. It's about uh, that, that transformation that happens inside of us. It doesn't always feel good, it doesn't always happen instantly, but it's that commitment to learn, to grow, to sacrifice myself, and then reproduce what I've learned in other people. And we're going to look this morning at Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10. I uh, opened up my Bible this week and was praying about God, what do you want to speak? And uh, he, you never, sometimes God just begins popping verses, it's almost like they start floating off the page. And uh, Matthew chapter nine through ten, we're going to be uh, pulling out some verses because Matthew nine through ten reveals what a disciple is. And a disciple is this six things that I'm going to just go real quick this morning and break out for you from Matthew nine and ten. It says it disciple is a person who knows they need Jesus. It's a person who answers the call to follow Him, who's sent out in His love and power to build his kingdom first, they endure all things that they might be like him. And that's all in scripture this morning. We're going to kind of break that out uh, line by line. And number one, if you've got your notes, number one, a disciple is a person who recognizes they need Jesus. And look at Matthew nine twelve with me this morning. Just follow along with me in your Bibles. I'm just going to be uh, Saying verses in just these two chapters where you can get an idea, a real uh, a revelation, I hope, would just begin to change you and compare yourself and say, God, is this things that I'm doing in my life? Is either, this is the way I believe that I'm following Christ? And number one is that a person has to know they need Jesus to be a disciple. Matthew nine twelve. it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come To call the righteous but sinners. I love it that Jesus is in the business not of calling professionals, He's in the business of calling sinners. And uh, how many people know when you're sick? Right? We're fighting the flu, the flu season's here in the winter, 2015. And I don't have to tell someone that they're sick, right? They know it. And for a disciple, we realize that on my own, I have this sickness inside of me. I know what it is. I feel the effects of it. And for all of us, Isaiah tells us that disease that he healed was sin. We all have this disease, and you have to know that you're sick to know you need a great physician, right? I have to know I have this great sickness in me, and I have to know the only one who can do that is that great physician. And so I don't have to go to the hospital and go to the ER and say, you know, you have the flu. Do you know that you're sneezing right now? Do you know that your head hurts and is pounding right? Do you know you're, you feel like throwing up? They know, right? You recognize it in yourself. I see the symptoms. I feel the pain. And so we find that Jesus is coming to find those who are ready to find a great physician. And he comes to the humble and the poor and the broken and the repentant of heart. He finds people who are looking for him. And so that's where we see a disciple is a person who has to know... I need that great physician. Look at verse 27. Here's what we find out. There are two blind men, and they come up and they're following Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. They follow Jesus, they're crying out, Have mercy on us, and they call him who? Son of David. You see, these knew they needed a healing. They were blind. Okay, you got two blind guys. They're following Jesus. They know they're blind. They've got no Social Security, no Medicare, no Medicaid, no, nothing like that. They are no food stamps. They have no home. They're living on the street. They're blind. They they're can't work. There's nobody to provide for them. And so they know they need a change in their life. They're hopeless. And so they begin following him, and they call him something. They call him son of David. That would be to say, you're the Messiah. You're the only one who can affect my change, who can change my condition in my life. And so they profess faith immediately. And they say, I know I'm sick, but I know who you are. And they say, you're son of David. And look at this. He says that the, they know they need a physical healing. They recognize him as Jesus Messiah, the only one with the power to change their condition. And Scripture says they believed, and it says that Jesus touched them. And he told them, it shall be done according to your what? faith. You look at that real quick, and you can point these things out, that disciples have to be are people who are willing to humbly cry for Jesus. You've got to be willing to humbly cry for Him. And you find, and look at these guys, it says that they believed Jesus was the only way, they had faith in who He was, and the last part is that they were willing to let Him touch them. So many times, too many people are willing to profess who Jesus is, but the Bible says that even demons know who He is. We can all profess who He is, but until I'm willing to come to Him and then willing to let Him touch me. It says the Bible, in my faith, I humble myself, I've come to Jesus humbly, and I say, yes, God, I surrender to let You change my condition. And Jesus touches them, and when He touches their life, their whole condition is changed. I believe it wasn't just a physical healing, but it was a spiritual, mental, emotional, complete change. And we can come down to the altars. We can profess Jesus, but until we let the presence of God touch us and change us, we can't move forward in discipleship. We've got to be touched by the presence of God. That's number one. A disciple knows who Jesus is, but they recognize they've got to let Him touch their life. Everybody, say touch, touch. Have oh, you been touched by Jesus this morning? Do you recognize that that? I didn't just seek him, but I also need to let him touch and change my life. Because what's the point of going to the doctor if you don't let him examine you? Or what's the point of going to the emergency room if you don't take the medication? Right? Oh, you, you, yeah, I need to go to church. Yeah, I need to go get saved. I need to go get healed. I need to go get... And you just keep... What kind of a person goes to the emergency room every, every week, every Friday night, they get sick, and they go to the emergency room. They go in. They hear their report. The doctor says, this is what's wrong with you. But they never let the doctor examine them or take the meds. But then next week, they come back around again. They keep coming back. That's what a lot of people do in the American church. You just come to service every week, but you never let God touch you. Amen? That's a whole other sermon. We'll do that later. But amen. <laughs> Disciple is a person who recognizes they need Jesus number two. A disciple is a person who answers Christ's call to follow. Probably the hardest one, in my opinion. Answers Christ's call to follow. Look at Matthew nine. 9. Jesus sees a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And Matthew would have been a man of no good reputation. And Jesus says to this man, who nobody liked, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. What does it mean to follow Jesus. We know that the disciples, like Matthew, but Matthew's one of the later disciples to follow, but the earlier ones, we know that the Simon Peter and his brother uh, Andrew and James and John left their boats and left all and left their father there in the boat, left their families literally to follow Jesus. Matthew, the same way, he leaves his post. You could, I mean, you're an elected official, you know, you're, you're working for the government and you leave your post, who's going to take the toll, who's going to, He was kind of like a toll booth worker, basically, and as you come through the road, you had to pay your taxes uh, to come through Damascus, and so Matthew leaves his post, even, to follow, and I don't know what happened to the post. I I bet the people were very happy that day, because the tax collector wasn't on the road, you know, Uh, he was following Jesus, and I asked myself this, why isn't it so literal for us today? Do we water it down in our own American way to kind of define in ourselves what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Because, you know, it's true, not every single person who becomes a disciple of Jesus literally has to immediately leave their jobs, their house, their wife. And it doesn't always mean that, but it might. And when I come to Jesus, when I give Jesus my life, I have to understand this is more than just what I've heard sometimes on the radio in a song, good song singing, or what I felt the American church system looks like. I literally have to come to the understanding I may have to move. I may have to change jobs. I may have to take my family and go to Africa. I may have to go to Australia. I may have to, some of us would, in mind, go to certain places. But I have to understand that my life is no longer my own. It literally, I give it up. When Jesus ransomed us from the pit of hell, then I say, God, I relinquish control of my life. I come to follow you. Where you go, I go. And I don't know, sometimes, even in myself, I fight how literal I take that. That it's like, well, I know that I'm going to have this job, and this is my wife, this is my kids, this is where I'm supposed to be in my life, this is where I was born, this is where I was raised. But what if God said, go? Are we ready for that? Is that the kind of Christianity that we want, that we, we're trying to live? Because the Bible says there were men who literally gave up everything immediately. When we come to make a profession of faith before God and we sing a song like, I give myself away, are we literally saying, God, I'm actually believing and meaning this? Because the, the Bible talks about God does not like a church or a people who profess things with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Because that means we're singing lies to God. Mm, That's heavy, isn't it? We have to be understanding that it is a literal thing. And I want to read a prayer. One uh, missionary heard a lady in the Congo pray, and she said, Dear Lord, you be the needle, and I'll be the thread. You go first, and I will follow wherever you may lead. See, she's attached to Jesus. And wherever that needle goes, that thread follows. Think of that. Is that our life today? Are we willing to sacrifice everything we hold on to? Give up that control, give up that authority, give up our pursuit of gain, our self-preservation in order to follow Christ. Look at verse chapter 10 verse 37. Jesus says this for his disciples. Matthew ten thirty seven. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You see, why is this so easy for these guys? Because it almost seems like they don't even think about leaving their spouses and even their families. And we know that uh, Scripture tells us that those families ended up following uh, those apostles behind and providing for them when they could. But why is it so... You know, to to give up everything, it has to be for something greater. And what happens is, is that a true disciple recognizes my identity without Christ is nothing compared to my identity with Christ. They've gained a newness of life and abundance, and they see who He is, and they are excited and joyful. So in comparison to what they have, to what they can gain, it's no comparison. They're willing to let things go. I I'll let the pursuit of those cars or that house or that job or that career or even wanting to be uh, have a successful life or wanting to be comfortable in life. I'm willing to give those things up. Because I actually see more value in following Christ without those things. If He calls me to. And I'm not saying that's what God calls all of us to. But my main thing is a disciple follows Jesus because they see greater value in Him. And so many times it's like, how, do I have such a, a love for God? Do I seek to build up those things? Do I uh, feel that He's worth it to give it? Think about that. Is he worth it all to give it all? What cross am I not willing to bear? And how honored am I really to follow God? And do I see Jesus as greater gain? Number two is that disciple is willing to follow Jesus because they see him as a greater gain. They love him more than anybody else. I have to pray that sometimes, that God, I love you I love my wife, I love my daughter more than anything in the world, but I love Jesus more. And they're okay with that. I love God more than I love my daughter. Because by loving God more, I love her better. Right? Number three, a disciple is a person who's sent out by the love and power of God. Sent out by the love and power of God. We find out in here this, this, this chapter... Matthew chapter 10, the disciples are sent off for the first time. This isn't even the upper room yet. Jesus, they've only followed with Jesus just a short while. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, you guys, two by two, go on. Go tell. Go do it. They didn't have their seminary degree yet. They didn't have their bachelor's of arts in New Testament studies. They didn't even have a formal training certificate. They just went. And some of them even still kind of doubted in who Jesus was. So what motivates Jesus to send people out before they're quote-unquote ready or quote-unquote prepared? Because I looked at this the other day, and I'm thinking, wow, these guys really didn't have it all together. They, they were trying to cast out a demon even later, and they couldn't do it. Or even some of them, that would doubt Jesus on the cross or deny him. And even Thomas didn't believe till later. Like These guys really didn't know all the answers, but yet he still sent them. Isn't that kind of interesting? Why is that? Look at Matthew 9, verse 36. Skip a few verses back before he sends them. What would motivate Jesus to send people out before they had it all together? Because sometimes we kind of wonder, like, well, I'm not really ready yet. I don't know have all the answers. I don't know the Bible good enough. I haven't heard that enough, or I need to go through this class, or I just don't have the gift to do that. Jesus sends some messed up guys to tell about himself. And look at why. Matthew 9, 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Can you imagine with me for a second? Jesus, is, he's he just come out of this home, after these two blind men have come by. He comes out of this home, and he looks, and because of his ministry of miracles... There's a whole sea of people, crowds of people, and they're just there. Not in any order. They have not come like, you know, sometimes when people gather together, they're all there for the same purpose. They've all rallied together, got organized, and showed up, right? Because it try to get a, a bunch of people to show up together at one place. You've got to kind of organize it. There's no order here. There's no organization. These people are, are lost, looking for hope. They're dispirited. They're, they're, they don't have a, order in their life. There's nobody given protection for them. Nobody guiding them. Some need a healing. Some need hope. Some need identity. And others are just broken and beaten. And Rome was over their life. And before that, Greek was over their life. You know, all these things, they have no identity in him or anything. And they've just randomly showed up together. And some are moaning and some are praying and some are banging on the door. And Jesus looks out and he's just moved with compassion because he knows not like a dictator would know and i got to control and if they were under my power then i could fix their lives no he's moved with a loving good shepherd's heart to say if i could just be lord of their life they could have identity they could have hope they could have purpose i could bring order to their life and unify them and it's that kind of urgent love that jesus then motivates and says go guys I know you're not ready, but you've got to go. That's what he's still saying. You may not be ready. Moses wasn't ready. Sometimes you don't ever think you're ready before God calls you to go. Because it's an urgent love. It's, it's, it's not about you. It's about his love. It's about his heart of compassion. But yet what Jesus does, and in look in 10.1. Skip forward to just a few verses. Jesus would give them all that they needed. Yeah, they weren't ready. No, they didn't have it all together. Yes, they still had doubts. Yes, they still would mess up. These guys would have faith issues. They would have obedience issues. They'd have all kinds of issues of, of going through. Peter would chop people's ears off. James and John would to call down fire from heaven. They couldn't cast out a demon of this one kid. You know, they would doubt God. All these things, they still had issues. But Jesus says in 10.1, He says, summons his twelve together and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And the Bible says we know in Acts 1 eight that he would send the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. He gave them what they needed it when they needed it. Gave them what they needed when they needed it. And so I look at this today and I find out so many people come and say, Pastor, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not qualified for that. Or I don't know if, if I can handle that. Or I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't expect you to. Neither does God. He didn't expect His disciples, the apostles, to have all the answers, to have the strength in yourself, to have the ability and the knowledge, because He sent them out with His love and with His power. He would do the work through them. And that's the key. Maybe you can't talk, and maybe God will give you an errand to be your words, your lips. But you better believe God's going to give you the power in your life, that staff, and do whatever miracles He's got to do to get people saved. You may not have everything that you think you need, but a disciple is a person who's willing to go by the love and the power of God. Today we know we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, more than even the disciples had since that upper room experience. They got authority here but later on they got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's the same fullness you and I have today. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus had in Him, that baptized Jesus in the, in the river, that same Holy Spirit that drawed Him and, and told Him where to go and what to say and what to do and empowered Him. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Him up from the dead is that same Holy Spirit He gives to every single person in His church. That's a power that is only, it's just awe-strucking. It's amazing. But you have that. And so today, I don't know where you are, but you've got the full power of the Holy Spirit at your hand. We've got the greatest demonstration today of God's love, and that's His cross. But do we feel too imperfect to go forward sometimes? Do you doubt His power through your life? Or sometimes, I think it's not always that we're so busy judging others, but we're so busy judging ourselves and thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not qualified enough. But you have God's love and His power And it's His urgent love that's pushing you forward. So if you're a disciple, you've got to be willing to let God use you. Sometimes, I've found in my life, it's a pride issue. I'm not willing to be able to mess up. I fight that. I don't want to be embarrassed and get it wrong. I don't want to stutter over my own words. I don't want to get in too much over my head. And what that does is that doubts the power of God in my life. It lets it prevents God from using me at all. And so if I surrender and say, God, I know I'm not worthy, I know I'm not good enough. I don't have the right words. I don't have all the answers, but God, you can use me anyway. If you can use a donkey, you can use me, right? If you can use these people over here, you gotta be able to use me. So I don't want a rock to crowd in my place. I don't want things to I don't want God to use somebody else. God, I want to be used by you, so I have to trust you to do it. And if it makes a fool out of me, then so be it. I'm still wanting to be used by God. Amen? Amen. So, number four. Disciple is a person who seeks to build God's kingdom 1st Ten seven, Matthew 10-7. As you go, preach. Everybody say preach. preach. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Don't acquire gold, silver, copper for your money belts, a bag for your journey, even two coats, a sandals, or a staff. For the worker is worthy of His support. What's Jesus saying here? He says that as you go... This phrase stuck out of my heart. As you go, preach. As you go. As you leave here today, preach. As you go to work on Monday, preach. As you get home in the afternoon, preach. As you're going with your life, preach. What does that mean? A disciple is a person who is not going with their own agenda, but as they go... He's got the preaching on. That, that button is clicked on in their mind and says, as I'm going about, maybe it's not about changing your routine. Maybe it's not about changing your job. But as you're going, are you preaching? And to preach, you know what the word preach means? It actually just means to speak publicly the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not about formulating a sermon and getting up in front of people. That's a, that's a whole different word. But as you go, are you speaking forth the word of God? Is that what comes out of your mouth when you go to work that week, As when you come home with your children, as you go to bed at night, as you go? And so I wonder, as we're going, what are we doing? As I'm going through my week, have I got other things on my mind that the Bible says I'm supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, and that's what I'm seeking to build up. And the second he says, don't take all these other things because a worker is worthy of his wages. And maybe you're not here today, and you're not called to full-time ministry, and Like myself, I rely on uh, the church to provide for me and my family. Okay? I don't have a secular job. And that's my calling. That's not everybody's calling. But what Jesus is principally saying here is don't let the concern for material things distract you from going and preaching. Don't worry about, he's basically saying, don't worry about trying to acquire enough for your journey and try to build up these things and get enough to survive. I'll take care of that. And a true disciple recognizes that, uh, he says on later, that you're the most valuable thing in God's economy. You're more valuable. If he knows what a sparrow is doing, if he's got the hairs on your head numbers, he knows how to take care of your needs. And so if I'm putting my life and saying, God, as I'm going, I'm going to be speaking forth the word. I'm going to be preaching. And so, God, I trust. I'm not pursuing gain. I'm not pursuing to build up those things. And, God, if I get those things, great. It's not bad to have a car. It's not bad to have a house or produce all those things, have a retirement, whatever. But, God, it's not my focus. And, God, it's not what's spinning in my mind. How can I get more money? How can I have a happier life? How can I do those things? Because, God, as I'm going, I'm focused on preaching. I'm focused on speaking the word of God. And a disciple is doing that. I've said it before, and I, 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 this phrase just sticks in my heart, that God always resources his mission. A lot of times we want to come to the covenant of God and we say, God, you said if I do this, I, I, your word says I'll be blessed. And your word says these financial blessings that people like to take out of context. And there are, they are there and they are true. But the condition of that covenant is, is that I'm going and preaching. And he takes care of my needs. I'm seeking first the kingdom and then he adds to me all the things I've needed. You see, if I'm not putting myself in the position of being blessed... It doesn't work. I've got to be God-kingdom-focused. And I believe that there's a time if the economy gets bad and the world comes to a halt and America falls, that God will begin to bless mightily the church that's still kingdom-focused. We're still blessing uh, Him and His glory. We're still adding disciples. We're still multiplying the lost uh, and coming, bringing them into the kingdom and discipling them and sending them out. You can be assured that if the economy fails tomorrow, and if, we, if we, Sanctuary Family Worship Center, stay kingdom-focused, I believe your gardens will produce better. I believe you will have better, uh, better jobs than other people. I believe God will send rain when we need it and hold, bring sunshine when we need it. I believe that, that he will bless miraculously a church who's kingdom focused. And so disciples have that confidence in God, that God, I'm just focused on your mission and seeking first your kingdom. He goes on and look at 10.22. Disciples willing to endure all things. Disciple is willing to endure all things. 10.22, you will be hated by all because of my name. But it's the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. I touched on this last week in our peace, talking about peace. But Jesus tells you and I what trials lie ahead. We haven't all faced them yet here in America. But physical abuse, gossip, slander, false accusations, and isolation all come with the territory of being a good disciple of Jesus. And a lot of times we don't have to do that. And I kind of wish a little bit of persecution would come on us because it would purify us a little bit. It's, it's actually good for us. But am I willing and knowing a disciple is like a good soldier who has made that commitment when they sign up in the military that no matter what lies ahead, I'm committed to my, my commitment. I'm, I'm, I have a resolve that no matter what the military calls me to or what lies ahead or how bad it gets, I've made a commitment. You don't see that so much in today's society, commitment. But Jesus says, I'm telling you in advance so you don't be alarmed and fall away. I'm telling you guys that it may get worse in 2015. It may get worse before God comes, and that's okay. Because he who endures to the end will be saved. And those who seek first the kingdom, God will take care of. Now, it may be hard. We may have isolation. We may be slandered. But if we give our mouths to the word of God and our feet to the mission of the gospel, he says that he will take care of us. We run with endurance, church. Endurance. Those who make it to the end. And I ask this in my my prayer time. God, what do I tell a church? It's like, hey, good news. We may get persecuted in 2015. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Why would we want to do that, and what makes us in, what made these guys endure? I, I looked it up, and just to tell you that Matthew was slain with the sword, and Luke was hanged. John was boiled, didn't die, and then he was imprisoned on an island. Andrew and Peter were crucified. Paul, James the Great were beheaded, and James the less was thrown off the top of the temple and then beaten to death. Wouldn't that be a way to go? Jude was shot through with arrows multiple times. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned. Mark was dragged through the streets until dead. Bartholomew, though, was filleted alive. What makes a person endure to the end when you're being filleted alive? Do I have that kind of resolve in me that no matter what they do to my physical body, I'll never, never Fail my Savior. I will take Him with, I will stand the course. I will profess the Word of God. I will go and preach till the day I die, no matter how I die, no matter what persecution or suffering comes in my life, no matter what loss, like we said, it is well. The sermon we talked about last week, the man lost his children and lost his job and lost everything, yet he could say, it's well with my soul because I know I'm not about the grave, I'm about going to the sky. I know what lies for me. And I ask, God, what is it that makes these people endure? And look, God just pops things out of Scripture. Look at verse 27, 1027. How can you and I endure? I believe this is what God wants to speak to us this morning. He says, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. What I speak to you in darkness, I'm not whispering in your ear. You see... How do these guys endure when they're in the prisons and in the cells? I believe they hear the whisper of God. You see, when they're going through trials and tribulations, God's speaking. And see, and when they're, when they're being persecuted and they're being filleted alive and dragged in the street, they can still proclaim at the top of their voices that God is God. And Jesus is the only way. Because why? They think so lovely of God's voice. To hear His voice is more lovelier than anything else. And in the sweet, quiet times, in the darkness, they hear God's voice. And then something like Jeremiah is like a fire in their bones, and it motivates them to proclaim what they hear in their quiet prayer times and proclaim it in a public place. No matter what is going on in their life, no matter how bad it gets, I have a deep personal and spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is more sweet, more lovely, more cherished than anything else I have on this earth. And is it that relationship that you and I have today, that in the deep, dark, quiet times, I hear the lovely voice of my Savior, and it motivates me, it comforts me, it moves me to speak and live and endure and proclaim Jesus Christ until it comes, because I don't know about you, but I love when the Spirit speaks to me. I love when God speaks. And a disciple is a person that, even though Jesus isn't physically here with you and you can't see him all the time, you have his voice speaking in the dark, quiet places of your life. And you have, even in the trouble and the terrible times when everybody's shouting, you can still shout above them and proclaim from the rooftops Jesus Christ is my God. I don't care who knows or what I'm going through, I won't deny it and I won't deny him. And so I look at that, that nothing was lovelier than being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Nothing is lovelier than hearing God's voice and knowing, "My master is calling me to do this, and all I want to do is be near him and hear His voice." We opened it up at the very beginning, Matthew 10: 10, 24, 10:25. 10, the disciple is, a disciple is. Disciple is a person who strives to be like Jesus. It says a disciple is not above his teacher. And verse 25, read that. It is enough for a disciple that he become like his teacher, a slave like his master. Is it enough for you and I to be like Jesus? The Bible says that he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, He was a rich man, but for our sakes he became poor. He was uh, bruised and beaten and slandered, but yet he did not curse them back. He did not say anything back. Just like a sheep led to the slaughter, he was quiet. He took it. Why? Because he loved people so very much. He was willing to die for them. And is being like that enough for you and me? Is being like Jesus enough? I find myself sometimes, even as a pastor, saying, God, I, I, I'll find myself in prayer, and I'll be like, God, I just realized how much things I was trying to add into my life. Maybe it was, man, I really wish I had a truck, or God, I know that we, you're going, I, want, I need a house, God, we need a little bit more room, or you've been seeking, I've been seeking these things, or God, I, I, you know, those little toys in my arsenal, you know, get the guns and get the things, and I like guns, thank you all for a gun for Christmas, and you know, all those things are great, but if I let my mind, oh, I got I to get that other scope. You know, I got that other scope. And you know, when you have that, then you got a this. And it becomes like an addiction. Trust me, I know, men. We got our toys, we like them four wheelers, ATVs. Let's get some accessories on those things, right? I found myself even this week repenting and saying, God, is it just enough to be like you? Is being like you enough? That I'm not pursuing anything else. And God, if you give me anything else, I just bless you for it and I give it right back to you. God, it's got to be enough for a disciple to be like their teacher. God, I want it to be enough in my life that I can be just like you. And if you humbled yourself to death on a cross, then God, it's got to be enough for me if you didn't pursue vengeance, if you didn't spit back, if you didn't take up your own uh, a revenge, God, if you didn't defend yourself, that's got to be enough for me. God, if you humbled yourself and you withdrew from people to pray every day and you prayed and fasted, God, that's got to be enough for me. God, if you, you went from this place and you never owned a home, Jesus, that's got to be enough for me. If you were accused and beaten, that's got to be enough for me. If your own even denied you, That's got to be enough for me. You're Judas. God, if there's got to come a Judas in my life, that's got to be enough. Is being like Jesus enough? I find myself so many times wanting more, wanting more. I want my life. I, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want other things. I want comfort. I want a nice home. I want a, a good life. I want to be satisfied in my bank account. I want those. Those are not bad things. But being like Jesus has got to be enough. Is being like Jesus enough? Worship team, would you come back? Is it enough for you and I to be like Jesus? You know, being a follower of Jesus, it's not a self-help book, club, club. It's not a motivational speech of how to live a life well-lived. And it's not some inspirational guide to happy days ahead. Jesus warns us that it's a life of sacrifice, where we know we're sick, We we need a physician, that we may have to humble ourselves in our flesh to follow Him, to seek first the kingdom. But along the way, He takes care of us. He gives you all the power you need He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll speak to you in all things because there's a greater gain ahead. And it's so lovely to know that Jesus' voice will speak to me at any moment. It's so lovely to know that I'll be with Him in paradise for eternity. And there's got to come in our life a greater gain. And He so loved the world, He gave His life. And if that was enough for Jesus, it's got to be enough for me. To be a good disciple is ultimately to make more disciples. That's what Jesus did. He came down and He made disciples. So easy to come to church and just go to a church service and go home. But if you follow these six things that Matthew 9-10 through 10 lays out, I believe you will naturally produce disciples. I know that in my life it's it's been... I found, guy going to church, I got overwhelmed, I got stressed out. I thought it was a lot of work, I didn't have the right words to say, I didn't know what to do. And it almost was like it fearfully put me in a corner, and I didn't know how to get out of it. i God, I don't know how to make disciples, I don't know what to do, and I don't have the skills or the gifts to do that, and it seems a lot of work, like a lot of effort to make disciples. But if I just seek to be like Jesus... You will, you will naturally make disciples. It'll just happen in your life. And so seek Jesus. Be like Jesus. Is it enough that you're like Jesus today? Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Just begin to seek the presence of God. Maybe you're here today and you've been seeking. You're like that, that patient who keeps going to the emergency room but never lets the doctor touch him or, or give him the medicine. Maybe you just need to be touched by the presence of God today.